1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. In these uncertain economic times where uh, investors don't exactly know where to park their money. Yeah. Enter Mayor Triple Threat, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Once in a lifetime opportunity. You're going to want to get in on the ground floor of this. Listen to the investment opportunity that Lori Lightfoot is providing all Chicago residents.
2: This is Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and I am proud to announce that it's a Chicago resident or individual investor, you can now invest directly in our beloved city by purchasing Chicago social bonds. These social bonds will fund a portion of the Chicago Recovery Plan, which is making $1.2 billion in equitable, transformative investment in our city. The Chicago Recovery Plan includes nearly $1 billion in affordable housing projects. $117 million in homelessness and transitional housing support, $110 million in community economic development, $46 million for the largest tree planting initiative in the city's history, and $41 million for full light-duty city vehicle electrification over the next five years. The first series of social bonds to fund the Chicago Recovery Plan will be sold in the week of January 16, 2023, and will fund essential projects such as the construction of more than 2,000 units of affordable housing, the establishment of safe and clean emergency shelter space for people experiencing homelessness, the cleanup and sale of over 5,000 vacant city lots, and the planting next year of 15,000 trees citywide. These bonds are being offered exclusively to the residents of Chicago, and individual investors before any banks or large investors. That means Chicagoans and individual investors will have the first pick when purchasing Chicago Social Bonds and investing in the future of our city and your community. To learn more about the STSC and to participate in this historic transaction that will transform our city, please contact your broker or visit chicago.gov. Forward slash social bonds.
0: Got uh, 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 that, Dan? How, how many do you want? Three one two six four two fifty six hundred. 5600 Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turkey Pro Text. And you thought that investing in the future of Chicago was something only the fat cats can do? No, no, not with Triple Threat around, making, giving you this exclusive one time opportunity ahead of the institutional investors to get in on government housing and homeless shelters, and yes. tree equity. I mean, talk about a license to print money.
3: $46 million for the tree program? I want to hug a tree. No, I'm trying to divest from Chicago, not invest in Chicago. And this is just another, I mean, with the election close, what, a month away? More than a little bit a month away, this is her solution? Do you think? Where's
0: your, uh, you know, what would be tantamount to your patriotism? Where's your commitment to this greatest city on earth, Chicago? Won't you buy a Lori Lightfoot Chicago social bond?
3: Uh, has any other big city ever done this before?
0: Sure. I mean, it's just it's just a marketing ploy. It's just issuing bonds. I mean, and it's, it's, it's tantamount to war bonds. It's the equivalent of war bonds. It's a way for governments to finance projects where they don't want to impose tax increases.
3: Well, because they can't tax anything else in Chicago. I mean, I can, real quick— Look at your cable bill everybody. $60 plus a month goes to taxes. Entertainment tax, there's a city tax, county tax, state tax. I mean ev- just everything we do they tax us to death here. So I guess this is the only way for her to, you know, create jobs? I don't know. Create housing for homeless people? I don't Chicago social bonds. I'm not in. Would you wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole, would you Dan?
0: Uh no. I think you want to get out there. I think uh those uh in the Vanguard class in Chicago should be first in line. I think yeah. there should be op-eds pushing the social bonds. I think people should, uh, as Mark Lennon wrote about in Wire points about this, you put yard signs next to your I hate has no home here sign. I bought Chicago social bonds. I mean, let's go, people, All put your look- money where your mouth is and and think about being part of this transformation of Chicago where you can have, you know, public housing projects in the financial district and homeless shelters on the Gold Coast and trees, uh, wherever there aren't trees and, and vacant lots cleaned up so that they can be better looking vacant lots. I mean, the the uh. opportunities to be part of this Chicago restoration. I think we Chicago should force. Chicago recovery plan.
3: Yeah, we should force all those lefty liberals, you know, the P hat wearers and their husbands. Uh, they should, they voted for her because they've got millions. They are the ones who should be investing in buying Chicago social bonds, don't you think? For
0: Lon Southside, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
4: What's my return on my investment? What do I get out of the deal? Can you tell me that, Dan? You get a better Chicago.
3: You have a better heart. You did something. You get and then a you better could say, Chicago. I did
0: you can't put a price tag on a better Chicago, on a recovered Chicago,
4: can you, Verlon? I don't live there anymore, so I want some returns. Well, you can't buy it. You're on... not.
0: You're not. It's only Chicago residents. Chicago residents are at the front of the line ahead of institutional investors. You're going to have to wait, and if there's any left, when these bonds are all gobbled up by Chicagoans and then the institutional investors, yeah.
3: Vermont, I mean, I there's
0: there's a there's a legitimate return. It's not just like buying a share in the Green Bay Packers. There's a there's a return here. But right. um, mm-hmm. uh, I just love the financing and marketing scheme associated with the financing. Don't you?
5: Thanks no, I don't. I don't like this deal. You don't
0: like it? Yeah. Well, I yeah. do. It's, it's, uh, you're text smart. text messages.
3: Chance for champagne. Communists to pony up. Uh, another one. To, to, recovery. We don't need no stinking recovery.
0: Dan and Lake Zurich. Hey, Dan.
6: Hey, good
7: morning. I wouldn't uh, invest in a failing business unless I saw a hospital takeover from a successful business. So, yeah. sorry, no. Uh,
0: not until, uh, thanks for the call, not until Indianapolis invades and takes over Chicago. Uh, Matt in uh, Mount Greenwood.
8: Yeah, I, I want to I ask if anybody want to invest in my new U-Haul franchise down in Mount Greenwood. I guarantee returns uh, for the amount of business we're going to have here over the next several years to get out of this decrepit
0: city. Thanks have a good day, the, folks. Thanks for the call, Matt. Karen Beecher.
2: Good morning. Uh, good thing this is radio, and y'all can't see my face uh, laughing so hard at this. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched the show Shameless. I sure this did. Sounds like, okay, this sounds like something that Frank would have cooked up. <laughs> In order to pony up some money for the fam- – well, his endeavors, not the family. No. But it it's shameless. I know.
0: Thanks for the call, Karen. It reminds me of um, a great story about Reagan. I've probably told it before, but when he was governor of California and he proposed um, – uh, some budget cuts to in terms of state support of public universities in California, uh-huh. and he was on one of the state universities campuses, and the people were protesting. The kids were protesting, and they surrounded his his state you know state car. He's the governor, and uh, were are pressing on the car, and we are your we are your future. We are the future. We are your future, and so on and so forth. And Reagan took out a legal pad, wrote on it, held it up to a window that said. If you're our future, I'm selling my bonds. And that's about the same attitude I have towards Chicago social bonds. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: It's like a hot steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
6: Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. 30 or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, signaturebank.bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. Only
1: the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM 560, the answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I saw that uh, race hustling poverty pimp POS Jesse Jackson Sr. endorsed Brandon Johnson uh, in the mayor's race. Brandon Johnson, who's a communist tool of the Chicago Teachers Union, and I know that doesn't separate him from much of the rest of the field, but he's the one that uh, received Jesse Jackson Sr. and I assume Jonathan's endorsement too. Yeah, that is a big, exciting.
3: big thing yesterday.
0: So, where is the big idea? Big endorsement. Where's the big idea? Where's the big idea coming from the Black Lives Matter Marxists running for mayor? There's many of them. Where's a big idea for Chicago like the Reparations Commission came up with for San Francisco?
3: And I think she started with the Chicago social bonds, right? Yeah, That's, that's not a
0: big enough idea. That's not uh, race specific enough, even though the projects are. The San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee has proposed repaying each black longtime resident of San Francisco, not repaying, paying, proposed paying each black longtime resident of San Francisco five million million, one one-time <laughs> lump sum payment, and grant, granting total debt forgiveness due to the decades of systemic repression, quote-unquote, faced by the local black community. While neither San Francisco nor California formally adopted the institution of chattel slavery, the tenets of segregation, white supremacy, and systemic repression and exclusion of Black people were codified through legal and extra-legal action, social codes, and judicial enforcement. Therefore, five million bucks.
3: Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, which is always fun. Six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: Five million bucks, and to qualify, you must be eighteen years old. Okay. Have identified as black. Have identified I, as black. Oh, Rachel Dolezal on. is eligible. Have identified as black or African American on public documents for at least ten years. So you had to be a letter. Uh, uh, had a learning curve if you're a honky like Rachel Dolezal, identifying as black. You had to do it for a while, and she did actually. She
3: did. She did it successfully. Had people fooled.
0: You also. Um, have to have been a resident of San Francisco for at least thirteen years or born in San Francisco between the years nineteen forty and nineteen
3: ninety six who who put up those parameters
0: so nineteen forty and nineteen ninety six what huh. and then the the description about the white supremacy systemic racism segregation in nineteen ninety six in San Francisco how long did they have segreg did did Jim Crow persist in San Francisco? Uh, be well beyond the time it did in the South, 1996. So you could be, you know, 26, 27 years old right now and still be in line for a five million dollar lump sum payment, Ooh. and and that's not all. That's not all. But wait, there's more. <laughs> the plan also calls for the city to supplement lower incomes recipient lower income recipients' income. So you get the five million dollar lump sum but if you're a lower income which you're not after you get 5 million dollars but okay i guess if you're lower income prior to receiving the 5 million then you get a supplemental distribution to the area's median income which is about $97,000 annually for at least 250 years what? so you get 5 million bucks if you're lower income before you get 5 million bucks you get ninety-seven grand for 250 years. What, What? you're not going to adjust for inflation? I hope that's indexed, for God's sakes. you
3: going to live 250 years?
0: Racial disparities across all metrics have led to a significant racial wealth gap in the city of San Francisco, according to the commission. By elevating income to match the area median income, black people can better afford housing and achieve a better quality of life. Well, the $5 million bucks will help, too, you know. Not bad. You you, you could, could probably nice studio there. You could probably uh, you know um, do a cash deal and so not have a mortgage. Now you will still have to pay the pro- property taxes and yeah. uh, so on and so forth. So I I hear what you're saying. What do you think? Uh, five million buck uh, five million bucks lump sum payment, 1940 to 1996. So obviously uh, people born in 1940. Yeah, they actually they they did suffer, I'm sure, institutional racism under the color of law in San Francisco, as in most of the rest of the country. Um, Past, you know, 1970, I think it's a little bit more difficult to argue. Past 1980, past 1990. (laughs) Okay. Okay, all right. Five million bucks, 97 grand a year for 250 years.
3: Where is this money coming from?
0: Uh, Do I dare ask? I don't does care. That make
3: me racist.
0: I don't care. I, 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 the question is not that. Who cares where the money comes from? Let San oh, Francisco okay. figure it out. The question is why aren't we doing it here? Why don't we have a visionary, uh, identitarian, Marxist politicians here proposing the same thing? Because they should be, shouldn't they? Getting getting sort of one upped by San Francisco, I'd say. Where are the Black Lives Matter folks? Where are the what's in it for black people, folks? Where are all the race hustlers and poverty pimps, like I just mentioned? Where, why why isn't Rainbow uh, Push proposing this? Why why isn't Triple Threat uh, twinning this with her social bonds?
3: Sorry, she doesn't have a press conference. Chicago today. Teachers
0: Union, Brandon Johnson. Where, where are where, where are the race hustlers when you need them? What's going on? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro, text line, or somebody... Like Governor Pritzker, I mean, he's, he's got billions. Right? He's a no, 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 not his money, our money. Oh. This is this this needs to be a collective effort. We all need to pay our fair share to atone for our sins. No, 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 no. This is not private money. Okay. This has to be taxpayer money. Got it. Got it has it. to be your money and my money and everybody else's money. I
3: don't know what else they're going to tax, but yeah, okay.
0: I mean, just raise tax i don't what are raise, you, raise taxes our, our, our state income tax is four point nine five percent make it ten whatever it takes to properly atone for sins that we didn't commit but whatever we're honkies we're oppressors that's the that's the line of argumentation so let's attach some consequences to it right isn't that what uh, your friends in that cult that you call a church would say
3: They'd be all over this.
0: Why don't you make a prayer offering uh, on Sunday for a $5 million lump sum payment plus uh, whatever the median area income is in Chicago. Let's say it's 80 grand. 80 grand for 250 years. We should do that here. You could lead the way and you could get, uh, you know, the, the your your fellow cult members to, you know, march down.
3: Uh, oh, they march a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. March down Clark Street and take right. it all the way to City Hall. Pick up people along the way. Let's get a movement started here.
3: Three one two six four two five six zero zero Turnkey Pro Answer Line. Text us at six four six three six. Type in DA. Then a quick comment.
0: Mary Kay, Western Springs.
9: Oh hi, good morning, guys. Um, but Dan, if they do this in Chicago, I that be would great. be it for me. Oh, oh my God, oh, be oh, it, it would for be you? Great. What are you talking about? Sure. I oh Dan. You know, they did it in Evanston, didn't they successfully pay? Yes. Not to the tune of $5 million. No, that, that and a, no I get it. 250 oh. years.
0: There's a pittance. Uh, it was like $25,000 oh. housing grants. I mean, that's a right. pittance. <laughs> it's you, insulting. You, they
9: get it. Yeah, they better get an and start catching up. They better come up with something new. Yeah. Um, boy, oh, my God. Amy, that church that you're in, if they get involved in this, I'd consider leaving that church. Yeah, and they, know well what enough,
0: they have Black Lives Matter signage on the altar. <laughs>
9: Amy. Get involved. Well, they
3: moved it. Now it's by the Amy. best. Yes. Yeah, Amy.
9: Great. Amy. yes. All right. Um I wait up more other point. Oh, uh, I'm sick of being called the white's a promise us. That's for damn sure. Well, and pony get up. on board. Yeah. No. I'm not going L- oh, to call up. I'm going to go to ancestry.com. Start... No, I going to find out if
0: no. I black. No, that's I'm a thing.
9: That's I'm a black.
3: thing. You no, can no, find no,
0: out no, on no, ancestry.com. No, no. Why P- not? Why not? Public documents for 10 years.
3: The, you have to years. have identified public. as black or
0: african american on public documents for 10 years. So you have to have right some now. sort of restriction. But here here's the thing. You're not you're not trying to, you're, you're a honky. You're not supposed to get in on it. You're supposed to be an ally. I, so why don't you organize the Western Springs chapter? Well, uh call yeah. go over to Jim Durkin's house. I'm sure he'll join. He's a big black lives sure matter he will. supporter. Sure he will. And uh yeah. and start uh you know getting all those offals in Western Springs organized to wow. support this.
9: Because uh, you know what, they would do it because they won't know. support me doing anything else. You know, I mean, they won't support me when I get together. We was trying, we were trying to get Peacock elected. I, we had no. Like, well, that's we
0: were, that's that's advancing yeah. white supremacy. Here is the opportunity to go to your friends <laughs> and say that you are ready to atone. You are ready to be accepted in Western Springs. Go to them and say, let's do this. Let's get this done at the state level. Chicago shouldn't carry the entire burden for the legacy of white supremacy. Let's open our hearts and better yet our checkbooks and force everybody else's checkbook open. And let's get this done. How can we let San Francisco show us up? You
9: know what? I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to get my Lululemon on. I'm going to go to yoga and I'm going to go to Starbucks. So bingo. Um, I'm sure I'll meet a bunch of people. bingo. Yeah. The revolution yeah.
0: begins. Thanks for the call, Mary Kay. Monica and Lyle.
9: Yeah, I was just wondering how many are going to take their five million and leave the state of California. After all said and done, I mean, free
3: money. Here we go. Yeah, I wonder well, if part of it is that they have to live in California.
0: Oh no, well, I, I, I that give the would five be million back. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Monica. I
3: mean, five million dollars. Well,
0: I assume it's tax. I assume what? it's tax free because right, otherwise, but... then you're going to be at the uh, give the mil. You're going to get. You're going to get thirteen percent taken right back by the state. Um, so yeah. But see, then if you invest, you know, you know it's it's dangerous. I, I that would be great to see a get get all these uh, yeah, uh, black residents of San Francisco get their five million dollars, and then they leave in Moss for you know Nevada and yeah. Arizona and other places She's that are more awesome. tax friendly. It'd be be wonderful to see. Uh, Jeff, Cal City.
8: Uh, good morning, Dan, and Amy. I, I say enough with the virtue signaling. I don't even know why they're bringing this up. They should have just passed it and voted on it. I, I, are they trying to stir up controversy? I think you guys exactly. should get on board too and and just just bring it out there and just show how wonderful this is going to be.
0: I'm a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent on board. I totally agree. Thanks for the call, Jeff. Hundred percent. And you know, I mean, if you want to make it ten million here, make it ten million. Well, it's just. I mean, it's just money. It's We're talking about our eternal souls. We're talking about being accepted by our, our neighbors, keeping up with the Joneses in Naperville. That's what's important, right? Uh, Sean, Northwest Side.
7: Hey, how's it going, guys? Good morning. Um,
8: uh, Just wanted to make a quick comment. Like, I'm surprised there's no side note or stipulation that the money can only
0: be used for black-owned businesses or
5: oh.
8: minority-owned
0: businesses. Um. Uh, well, thanks for the call. Hey, uh, you, you. They don't. They don't make us honkies, uh, Just support honky businesses. So, you know, it's their. Their money. Do it. Do with it
3: however you want. Uh, there is something, or you show that you're directly a descendant of someone incarcerated by the failed war on drugs. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting too.
2: Oh, you. Hmm. You still have. To I'm be, reading into the plan.
3: Well, you still have to be 18 years old. You have to. Yeah, everything you said. Identify as black or African American on public documents for 10 years.
0: Well. Well, who, then, what what additional population would that stipulation include?
3: I don't know personally. Are the direct descendant of somebody incarcerated by the failed war on drugs?
0: Well, it doesn't say you have to be a de- descendant of slaves. It just says you have to be. the The stipulation, at least according to the recommendation, was eighteen years of age, thirteen year resident, born between or born between forty and ninety six, and uh, and black for ten years or, or longer. That's that's the reporting I saw. Kevin, Westside.
4: Hey, I was thinking that uh, seeing that these were all, all this uh, oppression was created by the laws that the uh, politicians passed, freeze their pensions, and use their pension fund to start paying these reparations.
0: Um, I'm fine with that. Thanks for the call, Kevin. I'm fine with, yeah, I mean, politicians shouldn't get pensions.
5: Was, uh, well, politicians I, I, are getting due pensions
0: the 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 whole term limits thing that's why the whole term limits thing is like it's it's the uh, the tail wagging the dog take the money out of politics take the power out of politics by reducing the size and scope of government so there's fewer goodies to hand out then you get people coming and going as opposed to making a 40 year career of it the term limits people always miss m- most of them always miss that
3: yeah, the plan also seeks to establish a comprehensive debt forgiveness program. It clears anyone's student or housing loans and credit card debt.
0: Great, whatever. Roger Southside. How are you? Uh, I just want two questions about the Frisco
8: thing. Uh, what first thing? Which Jewish law firm is handling that firm so I can contact <laughs> them today? Uh, number two, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we do need a, up this one out them here in Chicago. Uh, question is, I mean, when? Well, they stop laughing when the faucet shuts off there, because behind all the smoke and mirrors is both you know, uh, with our, finan- we- our
10: financial problems, There are pension issues.
0: Pension issues. Wait, yeah, in Illinois? I, I, I guess it's not. It's not. A, it's not an say issue. the p word. You. I mean, it's not an issue to. It's not an issue to. You know, the voters. It's not an issue to the political no. class. So it's not an issue. There.
8: Yeah, I mean, is, it's an issue is to no math,
0: fielding. but it's but that doesn't matter.
8: Yeah, I, I, I heard there was a couple of different Republican uh, reps trying to propose a bill. I think it's called like the Animal Farm Act or something like that about you know, putting all this stuff into it.
0: We're all it, snowball we now, Roger. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah. Thanks right for there. the call. Appreciate it, uh, Kevin Northfield. Uh,
10: Amy, if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, I understand that on the north shore there are a lot of white women seeking reparations over the invention of Viagra.
0: Hi. Uh, 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 I Kevin, I Kevin Northfield, he just needs better joke writers. I know. And
3: I, it's just not funny. No.
0: Yeah.
3: He tries yeah. though and we appreciate him calling in. We really do.
0: You yeah. know, on a serious note, um yeah. because um there is so, sort of a serious pathology that undergirds this identitarian claptrap, and and produces proposals like the one you have in San Francisco. Go back to Shelby Steele, the great Shelby Steele, and um, his work about uh, 25 years ago, "Dream Deferred." By the way, on the occasion of Martin Luther King Day, may be worth uh, perusing "White Guilt" and "Dream Deferred" if you haven't already, and all of uh, Shelby Steele's uh, other works. Um, talking about the civil rights movement in order to establish black freedom and equality as legitimate goals, the civil rights movement had to use moral shame as its primary weapon. What Dr. King and the other civil rights leaders could not have foreseen, nor, not that it would have made a difference, was that white Americans acceptance of its shame would trigger a preoccupation with the redemption of its own lost moral authority that would out, that would far outstrip its interest in full freedom and equality for blacks. Maybe the most overlooked effect of the great civil rights victories of the 1960s is that they transformed America into a self-consciously shamed society where race is concerned. And what is clear to me on this King holiday, he wrote this in 99, Uh what's clear to me on this King holiday is that this white self-preoccupation has turned out to be a major obstacle to the freedom we blacks won for ourselves in the civil rights area. Because whites now live under a demand to prove a negative, that they're not racist, they have tended to portray black freedom as essentially a white responsibility. The peculiar liberalism that came out of this era put black freedom and advancement largely in white hands. In this liberalism, whites can support welfare without work, racial preferences and diversity programs, not because they work, but because they are grants to former victims of racism and thus redemptive for whites. And now you can throw reparations into that mix, too. It has nothing to do with helping black Americans or black families. None of this does. None of the pronouncements you hear from these identitarian adult harridans in the suburbs have anything to do with helping black people. They are mascots. Uh, And maybe with reparations, some of them will be uh, much richer mascots, but mascots nonetheless that's what needs to be communicated, but people are too afraid to say it uh, if you're not Shelby Steele or somebody with you know, the standing that he has. But uh, so I just borrow from his analysis because I think it's spot on. And I think if you actually look and listen to what you hear from these race hustle addled residents of the suburbs of the Caucasian persuasion, you'll find his analysis is spot on. It's spot on. It's about my redemption. It's about me signaling that I'm a good person, that I have atoned. With the outcomes of these programs, even if they hurt black uh, families, as the welfare state has, so what? It's not about them. It's about me. Vainglorious bastards. That's what these new Marxists in the suburbs are. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning
1: Answer.
4: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On
1: AM 560, The Answer.
6: is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local, family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630, and learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender.
1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. President Trump, former President Trump, uh, gave an interview to David Brody, formerly of Christian Broadcasting Network. Uh, He's got a podcast called Water Cooler and uh, covered a number of topics, including, of course, the comparative approach to the handling of classified documents by the Department of Justice as it pertains to the former and current president. But Something else he said and he said after the November 8th election and he was chastised for saying so by pro-life leaders was that pro-lifers didn't do enough to help Republicans win in November. He also had uh, something to say about evangelicals, evangelical Christians who are not currently supporting Trump in his bid to reclaim the presidency. Take a listen.
11: You are the ultimate fighter, uh, the ultimate counterpuncher for sure. And that makes me think of evangelicals, why they loved you uh, twice uh, in those elections. And you announced, when you announce your candidacy, at least as it stands now, some of these prominent evangelical leaders who backed you last time, they're not yet willing to commit, like Robert Jeffers is not, some others. It seems like many of them are waiting to see how the field takes shape before backing anyone. What is your message
12: to them? Well, I don't really care. Look, uh That's a a sign of disloyalty. There's great disloyalty in the world of politics, and that's a sign of disloyalty, because nobody, as you know, and you would know better than anybody because you do such a great job, nobody has ever done more for right to life than Donald Trump. I put three Supreme Court justices who all voted, and they got something that they've been fighting for for 64 years, or many, many years, and nobody thought they could win it. You know, they they won. uh, Roe v. Wade, they won. They finally won, and You know, I was a little disappointed because uh, I thought they could have fought much harder during the election, during the 22 election, because, you know, they won and a lot of them uh, didn't fight or weren't really around to fight. And it did energize the Democrats. But a lot of the people that wanted and fought for years to get it, they sort of, uh, I don't know, they weren't there protesting and doing what they could have done. But with all of that being said, there's nobody that's done more for the movement than I have. And that includes uh, the movement of evangelicals and Christians and the movement very much of Right to Life. Yeah. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred
0: 642 5600 turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro, Text line. Uh, is it disloyal to be an evangelical Christian or a pro-lifer of any denomination and not be supporting President Trump? Is that disloyalty? By the way, that's a hard It's a bit. Um, it's a bit unnerving that uh, he doesn't know the date of the Roe v. Wade decision, that it was you know fifty years, not sixty-four. Maybe I'm being parsimonious, but. Sort of seminal case, and if you're going to cast yourself as the
3: ultimate pro-life greatest
0: earth. pro-life leader uh, yeah. in the history of the country, or at least in the history of occupants of the, the White House, then, um, yeah, you may want to have specific knowledge of these things. But re- regardless, disloyal, disloyalty. Is that accurate?
3: I just think some people are, are tired of his antics and sat the midterms out. I mean, I'm appreciative of what he did. He also appointed, you know, 200 judges to the federal bench um, and to a federal appeals court judges. And he did, you know, he he deregulated a lot for small businesses and helped them. I mean, our economy was was chugging, chugging along. Gas prices were great. Going to the grocery store was not painful. Trying to refinance your house. If you wanted to take out equity from your home, you could do it. But you can't now because mortgage, you know, interest rates were 7 to 8% for a 30-year fixed mortgage. Life was better. But I just think the people got sick of his the tw- the tweeting and 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 just him in general, and they.
0: That's not what I meant. That's not the question. Is it disloyal to not support the president? Don't tell me why they're not supporting him. Is it disloyal, regardless of the reason?
3: I don't think it's disloyal. I think that they want to back another candidate. They, 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 no, I don't think it's disloyal.
0: See, the thing is that politicians – I mean, here's a view, my view. Politicians are the means to policy ends. So there's no disputing that Trump nominated those Supreme Court justices, and there's no disputing how important those nominations were. There's also no disputing that he acted in his own interests to put out a list of judges that was put together for him by the Federalist Society – Uh, fleshed out by Leonard Leo at the time, uh, while he was a candidate to persuade pro-lifers and evangelical Christians that he was going to nominate Supreme Court justices and federal judges who had a proper understanding of the Constitution as it pertains to Roe v. Wade and many other cases and provisions in the constitution and that's fine he should act in his self-interest and so should pro-lifers and evangelical christians and yeah the disloyalty thing you know i gotta say if he could just be a little bit more charitable it would go a long way for him I, if he thinks he's acting in his self-interest to make statements like that statement and previous statements since the November 8th election and always beating his chest as opposed to, say, you know, 50 years of pro-life activism, 50 years of marching for life on the mall, all of the great heroes and heroines of the pro-life movement. Uh, In the religious community and outside of it. Um, The converts to the movement uh, that were so instrumental, you know, those who were formerly uh, on the pro-abort side uh, and uh, became champions for life. They had seen what the pro-abort side with the Planned Parenthood mills uh, were really like. Say, for example, Abby Johnson comes to mind great pro-life leaders like Phyllis Schlafly come to mind. There are are many, Father Frank Pavone. I mean, there's so many. So yes, as president, um, there's no disputing what he did. Uh, His speaking at the March for Life as he did was outstanding. And I applaud him for that. But politicians are means to policy ends. And when they stop being means to those policy ends, they lose their relevance. You can still like them you could still appreciate what they did but if they stop doing it for whatever reason then it's time to identify other people who will advance your policy flags right the 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 republic doesn't turn on one man or woman it never has it never will it never should and the trump loyalty thing is a bit of a struggle for me because as I've criticized him on this point many times from the beginning, he's a guy who doesn't like to surround himself with a talent necessarily as opposed to sycophants. Now, that's not completely the case. There are a lot of exceptions in this cabinet and with appointees and so forth. But inner circle, remember, this is a guy who came to town with Michael Cohen as his fixer, for God's sakes. This is a guy who thought uh, Anthony Scaramucci would be a good comms director. I mean, well, that's the ten days. Every uh, person is going to make mistakes uh, with personnel. I get yeah, it. But
3: hanging out with Roger Stone and
0: the, some the, part the,
3: Steve Bannon. I mean,
0: it's it's less even about the personalities than it is about the mindset. Are you always searching for talent, and sometimes you make bad calls, or are you searching for? people who will just polish your apple and i I think trump has a tendency to the latter to his detriment and the the need for constant uh braggadocia reminding everyone that everything that he did and seeming to indicate to the exclusion of anyone else's help is a bad look for a leader it just is. And so he's in this position where, despite his record, despite his record, which is roundly supported by the Republican Party, the substance of what he did on policy, roundly supported. He's in this position where he faces a, uh, a real threat. Maybe he's even an underdog, but at, at minimum, a real threat to the nomination from Ron DeSantis. Why? Why? Because of what I'm describing, because of the statements he made like that one. And that is no one's fault but his own. And I don't understand those who you know, demand accountability from politicians across the spectrum, except from Trump. Why is he in the position he's in despite his record? Oh, it's because of the media. Oh, it's because of uh, this and it's that. And he's been treated unfairly in the Department of Justice. Right. All those things are true. And they would tend to create even more support for him. But it's muted. Why? And unfortunately, with few exceptions and they're sort of excited utterances and then they dissipate, the people in Trump world that maybe he sometimes listens to are not willing to be honest with him they're just they just want to attack anybody who offers any like substantive criticism uh in to the approach he's taking for the destination he's you know to, to which he seeks to arrive, which is what i'm offering and we had this in the in the primary too and 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 then in uh when he won and uh disagreements over punching down and disagreements over particular policy choice too. And, and you're not, you're not allowed to criticize president Trump. Nonsense. Nonsense. No one is above reproach. No one is above criticism, particularly anyone in public office. And if you, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I loathe using sports metaphors for politics, except when I use them. Of course. So, um, You know, it's it's uh, I don't know, Jay Cutler having a penchant for throwing the ball to the wrong team. You're not allowed to criticize Jay Cutler because you're a Bears fan. So everything he does is beyond reproach. No. All his judgment calls are beyond reproach. I don't think so. His attitude is beyond criticism. No. And so the same goes with uh, politicians, including and not limited to Trump. And if you think like telling evangelical leaders or, uh, that they uh, are being disloyal because they're not rallying around your conduct in so many instances, that's why they're not there. It's not because of your policy choices. It's not because there's disagreement about your accomplishments. It's because you're, you're making you're marginalizing yourself. And uh, evangelicals and pro-lifers, like anybody else, want to see or want to support candidates they believe are viable so they can carry their issues into the policy arena. Just as they supported Trump against Hillary Clinton because uh, that was obviously a non-starter going with Hillary like some of the never-Trumpers allegedly on the right did. And that was a non starter going with Joe Biden. So they were there again in 2020. And then you're going to turn around and say anything less than a full throated endorsement is disloyal. And the responsibility for the underperformance of Republicans on November 8th uh, rests at the doorstep of pro lifers. Oh, I think it's a bit more complicated than that, don't you? Uh, Anthony, Northside, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
4: Yeah, good morning. I just wanted to talk about that the loyalty to, like, whatever, as far as Trump goes. The thing is, there can't be no part-time, like, protest. Like, we're the voice. He's the voice representation for us. And if we're mute at the time of, of protest, especially when there's elections going on, I don't think that he wants people just for him. He wants them to speak their voice throughout, you know, the representation of no matter who the candidate is if, if there's lack of protest that means lack of representation so trump's trying to be a voice for for the you know the american people and bring their concerns to the table it's not more more about him it's more about the we the people well, our concerns. maybe the kind of politicians we want in office we want somebody to represent us we can't be we can't sit idle and have and expect them to speak for us without knowing our voices you know well,
0: I I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, and this is where, you know, precision with language is important, because while I agree with that, and maybe that's part of what Trump is saying, that you need to fight the way that I fought against the swamp. Um, maybe he just needs to say something simple like that rather than about I did this and nobody did more than me and nobody is this. Uh, right. only me. I understand
4: that, you know, I understand that in, in, in the same breath. You know, we have to show power from the people no matter who the candidate is. It's not more about Trump. It's more about our representation no matter who's representing us, our voice. Yeah. And Trump, you know, Trump is for the people, you know, by the people, especially if elected. You know, you you see it all the time on the leftist side. You, You know, they can gather, you know, they probably pay people to be out there to protest. You know, we have to do it full time. If we want to be heard, to be especially being pro-choice, we have to be out there in numbers, not just partial, not when needed, not just in representation of Trump or at his one of his rallies or whenever you know he's up for a candidacy. And we all know he's no politician, you know. Speaking, you know, he's more of a a stern, you know, a, a representation of of voices that that make sense. You know what yeah. I mean?
0: Thanks for the call, Anthony. Appreciate it. I mean, I get that. I get that. Uh, again, the Victor Davis Hanson formulation on Trump, his value prop as a candidate, you know, all those people on Wall Street and Hollywood and corporate America and the D.C. press corps, I know them all, and they're even worse than you think. And I'm going to go take a bicycle chain to their playgrounds, and uh, I completely agree with that, and I'm totally appreciative of it to the extent that he was able to do that, and I want more of it. But you have to recognize when somebody is doing things that are destructive to those ends and say, that's destructive to those ends. You know, you have to call things how they are. No beautiful lies, including as it pertains to Trump.
7: Philip, Westside. Hey, Dan and Amy. Good morning to the rest of the world. Uh, Yeah, Dan, uh, what I wanted to say was, uh, Donald Trump came when we needed them to start draining the swamp for say. And he has done a great job. I tell people, the man is not perfect. But if you see what they have picked, not just Donald Trump, us through for the last six years of him announcing being pregnant. It was, we are turning our back on Trump. Trump is not the greatest speaker. Yeah, he brags a little too much. But you know, Dan, I look at it like this. The heck with his remarks. What about the results? Everybody's saying Ron DeSantis, he's a great governor. But, then, when it comes to somebody being a leader, we need somebody strong. I don't care what the evangelists, whatever you call whatever they say. We need somebody with strength. And what's happening with this world is everybody has been so weakened that they cannot stand the criticism or the, 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 the Trump-like people. You know, and he's not our God, our Savior. He's just like the average person, I believe. And, yeah, yeah. we are letting them down. You know, yeah, well, really.
0: well Philip, I appreciate the call You know, uh, other than thanks for the call. You know, when when a, a politician says, you know, you've let me down to the electorate, that's just a bad look. I know. Well, <laughs> it's,
3: it's not going to they're not going to get on board now. I mean, what, no, you're oh, not yay. doing
0: you're not doing enough for me. You've Shaming, disappointed me. Right. That's that's just that's just a bad approach. But but the rest of what Philip just said about I'm not your savior, the, I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, Churchillian in my rhetorical offering, but I'm on your side and, you know, we're on the same side of the skirmish line and we're going to take the fight to the swamp and we're going to pick up where we left off pre-pandemic and even any, any, the rarest of all things, any humility about some of the mistakes that were made by him and what he learned from them so that he's going to be better and more surgical and more effective this next go-around, that would be, oh, so, be much helpful, <laughs> so much more helpful. So much more helpful. Riffing off of what Philip just said and adding a little bit to that, I mean, it, it doesn't need to be you know, the king's speech. It It just needs to be on point about people other than him, and it comes across as about him and what other people aren't doing to be supportive enough for him, and you know what that does? It continues to diminish his support. It's not productive. Uh, and and right on cue, Jan in Hoffman Estates. Yeah, listen. Um, everybody's been
2: all the mainstream media has been bashing. I'm I'm out with the electorate. I, I'm out around the country a lot, and. All of the people talk about is Trump, okay? This is the state of Illinois. I think you guys really need to work in another state because this is a loser state. This well, is a I'm state aware. that's going nowhere, you yeah. know?
0: I'm aware of that. And
2: yeah. you guys should be bashing a Pritzker who was well, giving a speech well, well, on well. eating bugs at the World Health Forum <laughs> and losing weight. Yeah. Now, yeah. that's what you should talk about. Or Lightwood like talking about how many murders she's uh, taking care of in the last couple Jan, Jan, of
0: years, this Jan. is where the we
2: bashing
3: cover needs that to be Jan. done.
0: Jan, first of all, we cover it. Uh, oh, secondly, I just spent $35 million of other people's money trying to defeat Pritzker. So if you'll excuse me in terms of who's not taking the fight to Pritzker and Lightfoot. And number it's three. A
2: losing w- battle on this state,
12: I, I understand. We, we but, That's but, why but, some but people you, leave. But,
0: but you're telling us to talk about this, but it's a losing battle. So then why even bother? Um, and we're saying it's we are going been to bother. Jan, hold on a second. Just hold on. Slow your roll. For God's sakes. What we're doing with this conversation is not bashing Trump. I'm sick of that characterization. It's tiresome because it's inaccurate. This is not MSNBC or or CNN where we're lighting our hair on fire and saying Trump is a threat to democracy. We're having a serious conversation about being constructive as a political leader or. Not constructive. Advancing. Advancing. Your interests as a candidate or not advancing them. That's not bashing. So stop with the caricature. Any crossword of Trump is just thrown into the bucket of bashing. That's inaccurate. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Prof and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The answer.
8: Time now for another reason why... Dan Puff is single! All
5: right,
0: I've got a couple of uh, good stories. Uh, Anything you want to offer in addition, Amy, please.
3: Oh, thank you.
0: Yeah. A a man's ex-girlfriend has been charged with non-consensual dissemination of private sexual images after she sent his boss his nudes and claimed he was gay. (laughs) Ha ha!
3: Ah, zing! Uh,
0: yeah, Okay. you'll love the note. Um, uh, that's so gross,
3: though. That's that's just evil.
0: This is up in Minnesota. They you don't, know, you know, they got snowing. It. They can't do anything else. So nobody apparently, wants to
3: see that. Well, also,
0: too. I mean, I, I don't understand, especially after Anthony Weiner, the um, or, or Brett Farr for that matter, the penis picked. What? 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 What is this? I uh, know. Well, I don't get it. Um, the his 34 year old ex sent sexually explicit photos of him to his supervisors, to his supervisors at work. The news were originally sent to his ex girlfriend by his current girlfriend in a bid to make her jealous. But then, when the ex girlfriend got the image of his junk, she sent the picture to the dude's boss with a note that read. I wanted to thank you for the employment and want to let everyone know I like transgenders and I'm gay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And here's a picture of my private part.
3: Uh, Trying to get him fired? Or just trying to make things more uncomfortable at work?
0: I don't know. I mean, uh, coming out as transgender and gay, um, you probably got a promotion. But uh, she's got arrested. That's what happened to her.
3: Oh, she did?
0: Well, yeah, because the revenge porn is, you know, illegal That's in most states. Yeah. According to court records, uh, she, the lunatic who sent the picture uh, and with the note to the dude's boss, was, quote, highly intoxicated and extremely derogatory toward the LGBT community. Well, she seemed to be sort of a proponent. Uh, so, yeah. Uh-huh. So there's one reason why Dan Profft is single because of lunatic fringe women like this chick. But, you know, and I I get the guy, you know, taking a picture of his junk, too. That's a problem as well.
3: Well, don't do – I mean, if you don't want people to see it, don't take a picture of it. Because you really – do you really delete it when you delete it or you think you do?
0: It's the old saw, don't do anything you wouldn't want to see on the 6 o'clock news. Bingo. If you'd like to see your penis on the 6 o'clock news, take yeah. a picture of it.
3: Because guess what? Now it's on the news. Not just uh, here in Minnesota, maybe other stations too.
0: All right. Um, now over to NPR. I love oh. the advice columns. You know how I love the advice columns. Oh,
3: yes. You thrive for them.
0: Uh, the uh, government media uh, has a a segment called Dear Life Kit. Mm-hmm. In each episode, uh, they tackle one of the questions relationship questions someone has with an expert uh this week's uh, quack who tackles this question is some clinical psychologist named jody Adewale. all right so here's the here's the problem my boyfriend and i live together and we both work from home he doesn't like his current low-paying job but he doesn't know what he wants to do long term because he works remotely and doesn't have much to do he spends hours of every workday playing video games I feel like he's wasting an opportunity to learn a new skill or take part in a job training program. I've voiced this a few times, and he half-heartedly agrees, but he never acts on it. He's too busy playing video games. He swears he only plays one or two video games a day, but I know it's not true because I can see his account activity. Hmm, spy. Beyond the fact I don't think uh, the video game habit is healthy, I'm starting to feel a little bit put off by his lack of motivation and the additional household labor I do on top of my full-time job while he games. How do I talk to my boyfriend about his professional motivation and his problematic gaming without starting a fight or making him feel bad? I just want him to reach his potential and feel good about his occupation. Signed, Game Over It. <laughs> 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 646-36-DA, Pro text sign. What not problems a, do you see in Game Over its recitation of the facts, and what advice would you give?
3: The advice I get him out. I'm giving him an ultimatum: either you you stop playing video games, spending time doing more functional things to you know for the betterment of society, or leave. But Amy, I love him. I don't care. <laughs> Cut the cord. You could do better. It's not you. It's me.
0: Mm-mm. <laughs> you could use no. that line. Um, first out. of all. What's problematic about the facts as she presents them? The facts taken in light of the movie, you know, taken as true by the moving party here. I'll tell you a phrase that's a problem.
3: Okay, what's your problem? My
0: boyfriend and I live together.
3: Oh, see? Why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? Mm. My grandma always said that. Mm
5: Mm-hmm. Never Mm
3: -hmm. live with someone unless you're married.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, another problem, yeah. Make him feel bad. Uh, I don't want to start a fight or make him feel bad.
3: Please stop.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Pea hat wearer. Maybe mm-hmm. she can knit him one. Well,
0: well, sh- well, well. She is. She's the one who's saying that. No, I, I don't want to make I him feel. I I don't bad. make
3: him feel bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, your advice is to
3: dump him kick now. Kick him to the curb, as yes. the kids said
0: in nineteen seventy-five. Um, Here is the response from the trained professional, the oh, clinical okay. psychologist.
3: Does she agree with me at all? Oh, a little bit, maybe.
0: You're not man gonna him up. It. Most long term behavior comes from intrinsic motivation. You can also you can try to motivate people with positive reinforcement. You can give him praise for behaviors you like.
5: For example, you can a dog? Say,
0: you could say, "Thank you so much for spending time with me," oh. or you can say, "I appreciate you submitting that resume." You could also try joining him in a positive behavior. For example, you might say, come on, let's look at some of these job training programs together.
3: <laughs> it's a great new form of foreplay. Let's do it together. Um.
0: Course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, She uh, goes on, the clinical psychologist. I'd consider gaming like drugs, gambling, or porn. In excess, too much can create a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like gaming is starting to cause problems in your relationship. Excessive gaming, like excessive alcohol, can be a sign of an underlying mental health condition that might need to be addressed. Could there be some depression or anxiety there? We got a pill for that. Is this a form of avoidance that's helping him get through the day? Try to understand what's motivating the behavior. Exactly. You need to crawl inside his mind. Understand your guy. I hear this from couples all the time. I don't want to say anything because it's going to turn into a fight. But there needs to be more assertive communication where you stand up and speak your needs while respecting his needs. Well, of course, I need to game. You have to respect that. It's important to understand your boundaries with your partner. Are you trying to create a life for them that they don't want, one without gaming? Couples therapy would be be good for you as a couple. Having a safe space to talk about where both of you are can help facilitate a more constructive conversation. So, no, don't kick him to the curb. Respect his lifestyle of being a professional gamer, you know, the unpaid version, apparently. And uh, and maybe uh, save some of that money you're making while he's at home and spend it on couples therapy.
3: It's <laughs> This is why men are just not helping him develop into a man.
0: Oh, uh, oh, boy, I just I just this works on so many levels. It's such a this this exchange between game over it and this clinical psychologist is such a wonderful microcosm of our culture, uh, it, including the, you know, the, the, the couch potato. That's the pro gamer. Uh, Clay and Wheeling, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
8: The world needs ditch diggers, too, Danny. Thanks, it really guys. does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thanks for the call. Yeah, Judge Schmales was right. And, uh, you know, he said boys younger than Nanny to the gas chamber, or well, no, to the electric chair? He said, I sent younger boys here These are the gas chamber, not because I wanted to, but because I felt I owed it to them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's some positive motivation. Rick, Downers Grove. Hey, good
8: morning. Hey, you said the part about the living boyfriend, and Amy said, yeah, you never live with anybody unless uh, you're married to them. Mm-hmm. And all I know with me even if I was married, I still would want to have my own house.
0: I live here, you live there,
3: and hey,
5: I
0: think it would get—I would
8: get a, know, one a break lot
3: time. of people do that.
0: Hey, There's hey, hey, Rick! This is this segment is why Dan Proft is single, not why Rick from Downers Grove is single. <laughs> Stop stepping on <laughs> well, my toes. Well, say that way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that there is more that I saw something a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so did. I. That uh, more and more couples are living apart. Mm-hmm.
3: That they'll have their homes. Joy Behar from uh, The View was talking about it, too, because she lives separate from her husband. Because that's how they make it work. And who else? Oh, Gwyneth Paltrow. If I, if
0: I was Joy she... Behar's husband, I would live in Antarctica.
3: <laughs> Stop it. I think Gwyneth Paltrow, she lives. She has her house and her new husband has his house, too.
0: Not enough room for the candles and the husband. <laughs> right.
3: People like to have their alone time. They do. Yeah. And that's why so many people, I'm telling you, got divorced during the pandemic. Because all these, you know, ladies in Lakeview whose husband traveled all the time, they were home for the first time probably ever. And then they realized, ooh, I married this. I don't want to be married anymore. So they hmm. got divorced. And I'm so that you. that
0: that street is a one-way street, is it?
3: Oh, I'm sure. That, right, the guys too were probably. You know, I married this. Yeah. No, I don't want to guys, be gender biased. You're right. The guy, I mean. too,
0: is like, no, I know what I married, which is why I get out of the house at <laughs> 530 every morning and don't come home until dark. <laughs> I know I want to go there. It's my wife and kids live there. I don't want to be there. Uh, yeah. 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 That whole living. I don't know. Oh,
3: Do you know no, anybody? I, I know a married couple that they don't live together.
0: I know a divorced couple that lives together.
3: Oh,
5: Yes, there's that, also
0: that. that. There's that too. There's that that whole dynamic because whatever it just makes more economic sense and and I don't know you've learned to suppress some of the hate enough that you can live together without killing each other. It doesn't turn into War of the Roses.
3: Lisa Marie Presley yeah. lived with her ex husband or her first husband.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that's a great example.
3: Well,
0: yeah, yeah, I don't know. I is that? But I mean, that's I. I you, you don't want it to be blindly attached to clichés but i mean i what is the, what is the point of that exactly like what's the point of being married if that's if you're not
3: well you're still there for each other you just you know you see just, each other occasionally or every other week
0: <laughs> you're just there right like <laughs> like i'm there for my buddies who have you know the uh, standing tea time at cog hill yeah. once a week that's yeah, uh, that's right. that's the concept. No, I mean, the, if there's I mean, an
3: emergency, they're there. And I'll you tell love you. them and you just, you know, then it's more special. That which what did she tell me? She said it's it's a it's not more special because I really want Oh, yeah, it. So the time is limited so, so it's
0: more it's, precious. Right. Yeah. Right.
3: And it's they're closer because of it. That's great spin. Cuz they have quality great time together it. when they are together.
0: I could be persuaded on that. That's that's pretty good spin. I think
3: that would work for you. Yeah. And then your hypothetical children maybe one could live with you, one could live with her in a different house.
0: I mean, as self delusions go, I like that. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. The time we spend once a week together, it's just—it's just so no, much more meaningful. You get more, more done, and
3: it's more meaningful, and you—you
0: know—absence
3: yeah. makes the heart grow fonder.
0: I've heard that.
3: So that's... so
0: let's let's do a little bit more absence, right? Yeah, makes sense. I'm
3: not opposed to it. I don't you know, whatever.
0: Right. Frank and Lamont. <laughs>
3: hey. hey guys, good morning. I I got to
8: take issue with with Amy's advice to the ladies that they have to help him develop into a man. Ladies, if you didn't pick a man in the first place, okay, you know, the idea that you're going to develop him into a man, I don't know. I don't know about these
0: millennials
5: and Gen Zs. (laughs) Hey, hey, Frank, Frank,
0: for millennials and Gen Zs, uh, don't tell us and don't tell millennials and Gen Zs. (laughs) Go tell all those middle-aged guys in Hinsdale or middle-aged women in Hinsdale, I should say, about who they married. About who they married <laughs> Thank Exactly. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, there's whole well, communities when, around when, Chicago. Remember
3: when men were men and they shoveled and they did their lawn and they helped pick up garbage on the street and clear the street sewer when it rains? There's they, they everybody outsources everything. Well women I never see men out I do everything and I don't see them anywhere now. The one man that lived across the street he moved to Michigan during the pandemic. And that's it. I'm stuck.
0: I mean the the the, the old school
3: Who's got a power drill? The old Don't school dude is, is the old drill.
0: school dude is a dinosaur. I mean, uh, the, and it, and it's because I mean, you know, let's let's uh, distribute the blame here a little bit, oh, because right. it's also women who choose. Like, I just want an effete husband, you know, who's got a good job at an accounting firm or a law firm or something, uh, so I can live comfortably. I can steamroll him, and uh, and then we'll raise, you know kids and we'll raise our little pea hat kids and then we'll just continue the cycle i get taken care of and you know and he's sort of just there to make sure the bills are paid or even um you have like a you know two professional right. family the, the wife and the the husband and uh he also gets steamrolled in that circumstance as well because uh, w- women like I mean, I, the whole the thing, like women like strong men. Yeah, sort of. I some of us do. I, I, think, I think a lot of women have been brainwashed into liking these and marrying these P-hats that they just steamroll over.
3: That's yeah.
0: Don't I, you? I see that I all, see all the that. time. I see that, too. I mean, it's anecdotal, but as I said, I mean, uh, you know, you can't uh, swing a dead cat in some of these suburbs without hitting a, a whole – just gaggle of these men. If
3: I could give some unsolicited advice, don't marry a dude that doesn't have a power drill, okay, or a stud finder, what, what or can this, build is, something, or what can is, it is help. home improvements? I just, I like tool time. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My best, Tim Allen. There. Uh, Chris and Carrie.
8: Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, this guy in the, in, the, in the example needs to have the crap slapped out of him. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Three examples. Three examples. I have a relative who, well, he and his wife game. I have two friends who, who game. And the common denominator, all that, their kids are fracking nightmares. They're getting, they get in trouble in school. They're bad students because they game along with their parents. They're, they're, they're nightmare children because their parents are children. Get away yeah. from this guy as fast as you can.
0: Yeah, I bet he's in great shape too. Thanks for the call, Chris. Uh,
3: Maybe he was in that Lori Lightfoot commercial, you know, where the two dudes are on the couch playing video games.
0: It could have been one of them. That's could a, have been that's one a of them. Good prototype. That's. I mean, yeah. when I
3: saw that, I'm like, really? Come on. Look at she, them. Look, like, she's domineering, and uh, she's, these two men well, that's, on the couch. It's
0: representative. Yeah, it's representative. She knows her audience, Bill on the northwest side. Good morning, guys. What uh, what
4: she needs to do is set a deadline for this dude. Give him 90 days to get a full time job yep. where he has to get up every morning and go to it. It can be any kind of a full time job, and if he doesn't do that, he's going to find his bags on the curb.
0: There you go. Thanks for the call, Bill. Uh, Chuck Delavan. Oh, oh this will be good.
8: <clears throat> well, it's funny that you got this thing on here today. This is the fourth year anniversary of when I met my beautiful girlfriend. She, she lives beautiful. by herself. i I live by myself, see. And uh, she visits me Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and that's all we do. I mean, we talk daily, once in a while, and it's about her. We talk
0: daily, once in a while. (laughs) Okay, that's
8: a a commitment. But uh, (laughs) see, uh, I'm going to get her some flowers today and have them sent to her house, and she hates when I do that, so that'll be good. That'll make her really mad, and uh, (laughs) you know, and we're not going out for dinner. We're not doing nothing to celebrate it, but and I glad she's a cougar. Because she's older to me, uh-huh. and, uh, she is
3: beautiful. She I'm guys. telling
5: you,
3: yeah. I've met her, and she, and you two dance so wonderfully together. That's
5: the key; the really dancing keeps them together. Uh, right? The dancing keeps you together. Yeah. No. yeah,
8: I think that's what it is. The dancing does keep us together. Every every weekend we go out. It's going to be action packed weekend this weekend.
0: Chuck, I'm going to nominate you to be one of the experts for NPR to deal with the next uh, letter they get at the uh, at the Life Kit. <laughs> uh, the like for their Life Kit segment. Would you do that? Would you tackle one of these letters of a forlorn person uh, looking for some relationship advice?
8: I agree with the last caller. Make him go get a job. He's got 90 days to get a job. Otherwise, they can throw his stuff out on the front yard. That's it. I agree with the last call.
0: All right, Chuck. Thanks, Chuck. Dan and
1: Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. James Hankins is uh, one of the last of the Mohicans in the Ivy League. Just an outstanding intellectual history professor at Harvard. He writes in a recent op-ed with some advice and counsel for the new House Republican majority. And I like the idea. He writes, if you look at conservative media these days, a constant theme is how you're not allowed to say things anymore. They, quote unquote, won't let you. You'll be deplatformed, canceled, fired. You can't challenge progressive orthodoxies about climate change or fossil fuels. You can't question the teaching of gender ideology or anti-racism in public schools. Students are afraid to push back against professors. Employees don't want to tangle with HR departments over politicized mission statements. You can't contest the conduct of tech companies or the FBI. Many people now sense the progressive left has a hammerlock on public opinion through its control of most media, the universities, Hollywood, and the die apparatus of every large company. Decisions are made that degrade the quality of life for the little guy whose voice can't be heard. So... What could House Republicans do? Hankins writes, what if the new House were to challenge the information oligarchy by holding televised debates in the House that address the very questions the little guy is, quote-unquote, not allowed to raise? I don't mean members of the House should themselves debate these questions. Anybody who has watched congressmen debate before cameras in empty chambers knows that such an exercise would have no effect. I mean the House should sponsor its own chamber formal evening debates oxford union style on questions of public concern what should be done about climate change how can government best support the middle and lower uh, income families how can government strengthen the family should government regulate social media if so how bring in joel kotkin you know the um, the great uh, academic from chapman university who's written a book i've recommended many times the coming neo-feudalism to talk about middle-income families. Bjorn Lumberg, our friend, to talk from uh, the Copenhagen Consensus Institute, to talk about climate policy. Mary Eberstadt on family policy. Jonathan Haidt on social media. Let Democrats nominate progressives to represent their point of view. Let's have a real debate on issues that affect the American people. Let the American people, once and for all, uh, for once, I should say, hear all sides. Yeah, and importantly, hear them side by side. So uh, whether Oxford Union style or, you know, uh, Firing Line style, the Bill Buckley version of Firing Line, not this ghastly bastardization of it that's on now. I love the idea. You got to make arguments. You have to make arguments. And particularly in the age of social media, um, this is great content to be sliced and diced and distributed and – Bandied about on social media, argued about on social media. Good. I have confidence in uh, some of those intellects that Professor Hankins mentioned. See how much confidence the left has in their intellects. Where's their modern-day John Kenneth Galbraith? Does such a person exist anymore? I think that'd be really interesting. And it's about time to do some things that, you know, break from the customary way of adjudicating public policy fights and, frankly, do it in an unfiltered way such that it's more difficult for the D.C. press corps to spin, to comport to their selected narratives. What do you think? Let's ask uh, another intellect. Peter Berkowitz, he's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, former director of policy planning at the State Department. His writings are posted at PeterBurkowitz.com. Peter, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
13: Great to be with you.
0: What about Professor Hankins's little firing line, Oxford Union-style debate idea?
13: I love the idea. It reminds me, actually, of how the Federalist Society, great organization uh, yeah. originally created by students, actually shot to influence within the uh, academy, the legal academy. They hit on this idea. Uh, The academy was excluding, as you were suggesting, as Professor Hankin has suggested, uh, conservative voices. But it was difficult for the academy, the legal academy, to resist the Federalist Society's proposal to hold debates. Now, to hold a debate, even the law schools had to acknowledge back then that you needed a representative of – let's say, the progressive point of view. I could say the established point of view in the law school. And you needed the opposing point of view, the conservative point of view. So you could say it was a way that uh, by championing debates, you could say that the Federalist Society smuggled conservatives in, except that the Federalist Society genuinely believed, as you suggested, in the value of uh, hearing multiple sides of an issue and letting the best argument win. They genuinely believed that. And in doing so, they want a hearing for conservative voices. This would dramatize how far our universities, Professor Ankin's suggestion would dramatize how far our universities have deviated from what ought to be their uh, mission by making the House of Representatives uh, a, a place where you expect hard-hitting political debate becoming the home to serious intellectual debate because a university uh, among real intellectuals among journalists among professors because universities aren't allowing that to happen. I love the idea.
0: Yeah, it's genius. I mean, yeah, you, you know, I know that you follow what's ha- and have been following what's happened on college campuses for some time, but even. You know, three decades ago when I was on a college campus, that was still even as political correctness was uh, present and speech codes were being imposed. You still had the Phyllis Schlafly and Sarah Weddington debates on college campuses around the country and and even some sort of spectacle type debates. But that were still interesting, like G. Gordon Liddy and Timothy Leary doing college campus tours. You don't have any of that anymore, for one, as uh, Professor Hankins points out. You know, so many conservatives aren't even allowed on college campuses, much less to, to debate side by side. But um, but it, but it's not that far removed from a way that we used to understand what the campus was. And frankly, beyond the campus that we used to understand what is what what is interesting is, um, you know, credentialed people to some extent, you know, through work product, not just meaningless credentials like a B.A., but through work product. You know, uh, arguing on the merits, uninterrupted uh, uh, on the issues of the day, and that's what that's that's why, I, for God's sakes, that's why Bill Buckley's fireline program was on for thirty years.
13: Uh, I, I agree, and I even have a propo- proposal to assist Professor Hankin. Here's an issue that the uh, House should begin with. Uh, let's debate the um, the wisdom of the First Amendment on campus, as you know. It's very popular to say that freedom of speech is harmful, needs to, be, needs to be limited. Freedom of speech causes damage to people and invalidates their humanity. But let's see outside of the universities, people seriously taking the stand that the First Amendment was, is an unwise feature of our Constitution. And let's also hear the best arguments. People need to be reminded of um, the great achievement which the First Amendment represents.
0: Yeah, I like that. And and also, too, I mean, so, so sticking with the First Amendment, uh, the freedom of the press, I mean, you wrote recently about um, the state of journalism as it continues to deteriorate. And one of the things, speaking of firing line and NPR, is that it, it sort of below the fold, because why would the D.C. press corps talk about it? You have a real consolidation of financing of private journalism, from quasi-public entities. You have uh, legislators proposing to formally fund private newspapers in places like Illinois. You have NPR buying the Chicago Sun-Times. You know, they they can use nonprofits, including at least partially taxpayer-funded nonprofits, to support news outlets that carry their point of view, even if they can't generate subscribers to allow those newspapers to exist independently.
13: Yes, there's reason to be deeply concerned about, uh, about all of this. My own view is that, um, my own view, which I believe is consistent with uh, American constitutional government, is that the uh, government needs to really get out of the business of um, of regulating the expression of opinion in this country um, I occasionally talk with students who uh, are, remained, and understandably so they're young, tempted by the idea that why shouldn't the government uh, advance correct opinion? Wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be better for us to believe what's true than what's false? Unfortunately, all historical experience has taught us that the people who hold power are not responsible enough to have the authority to regulate opinion. So so big government
3: shouldn't be regulating big tech.
13: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm with you. They have, they disgraced themselves in regard to, uh, in regard to COVID. Uh, We could start with just this, this one question, which, um, which I got to see up close and uh, personal when I was in government. You may recall that in March or so of 2020, Uh, Both Secretary Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, to whom I was a senior advisor at the time, and Senator Tom Cotton floated the possibility, floated the possibility that COVID-19 had its origins in the uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology. By the way, the only laboratory in all of China that engaged in research on uh, coronaviruses like uh, like COVID-19. Uh, They were denounced as conspiracy conspiracy theorists, and Facebook uh, refused to allow that opinion, that speculation, to be expressed. Well, by now, it's clear that the weight of opinion, uh, certainly, I should say, uh, uh, opinion suggests that this is a very reasonable hypothesis, evidence suggests this is a very reasonable hypothesis. These days have colleagues close to it who have uh, no doubt about the matter. Um, It was uh, uh, Facebook regulated the expression of this opinion because they believe it, it violated, conflicted with a narrative that they wanted to press. They can't be trusted either.
0: Well, it's actually worse than that, we know from the Twitter files. And we know from Mark Zuckerberg's own utterances on the Joe Rogan show is that they were collaborating with government to regulate Speech And so they're so they're in service of the state. And that's a huge problem. And it seems to me it's just it's like this simple question. I mean, the idea, the hubris it takes to believe that one person or some group of people represent uh, the oracle of truth. And so, you know, you just wait for or you, know, you, you know, you go up to the mountaintop to get the received wisdom from the oracle and then the debate is over. I mean that is the antithesis of living in a free society that is the opposite of being a a a, a free sentient being, and it that 's you know I would think that used to be relatively obvious, but it is very much in doubt these days and to the point of these debates i, I uh i th- I think it'd be great i this needs to get to, get to Kevin McCarthy and uh, House Republican leadership somehow some way
13: I think you 're right, and you uh, you in a way alluded to the greatest example of what you 're talking about. Um, Not only is it the antithesis of a free society, it's the antithesis of of science. You remember when Dr. Fauci declared that to disagree with him is to disagree with the science. Mm -hmm. Uh, No proposition could be further removed from what science means. If science doesn't invite disagreement and challenge, because after all, way back when, all Senator uh, Cotton and Secretary Pompeo were doing... Was saying, we need to investigate this possibility. Right. Uh, and, and by the they, way, we know from correspondence that uh, uh, the d- director of the Institute of Health, Francis Collins and Fauci conspired to keep this view uh, off the public record and uh, and and censor it at Twitter and Facebook.
0: It was it's, it's such a, a Pompeo and Cotton were arguing for the scientific method and the scientific community was arguing against it.
13: Uh, that's right, although it's very interesting. Initially, the scientific community did not, but eventually Pompeo and, uh, sorry, uh, Fauci and Collins helped uh, persuade the scientific community to side with them. But you'll recall that uh, three of the world's most distinguished epidemiologists drafted something that was called the Great Barrington Declaration. Right. Now, this did not take sides on the origins of COVID-19. But it did propose a response to the pandemic that differed from the one that was had become accepted by, by the media and by social media. And they were, um, they were routinely vilified by, um, uh, by establishment science. That's not how science operates, not through vilification. It doesn't operate by refusing to consider the evidence. It operates by... Considering the evidence, testing the evidence, actually welcoming dissenters into the fold, and saying, "Thank you for expressing an alternative point of view. Now we can test your views against our views."
0: Well, the other thing about this uh, this debate idea too is, uh, I don't know what your view is, but I, I don't, and I, I know you talked in in your piece about uh, uh, what uh, J schools could do if they were wanted to renew any sobriety with respect to mm-hmm. journalism but they're not going to do that and and so i don't think change can come from the inside in these institutions there's just they're so monolithic in viewpoint so i think something like uh you know house republican sponsored debates serious debates on the issues of the day you know it's it's going to take exogenous events like that to get any of these institutions to change their ways because you know, there's no real impetus for them to do so.
13: Uh, I, I agree that um, uh, that we cannot expect the universities to be the major source of their own reform. That, that said, we need to encourage uh, all, all the small groups of students and beleaguered faculty who who not only remain committed to the First Amendment. I think it's more than a small free amendment, I should say, freedom of speech, because Of course, the First Amendment doesn't govern private universities. But not not only is there a small minority who's willing to speak out, but there's a larger group, I think, that uh, lacks the courage but nevertheless is committed. So we should encourage um, action within the university, but we should also encourage uh, private efforts, private educational undertakings. I'm involved in some of them in Washington. We should encourage more. And I want to circle back, as you have, to where you began. It's a terrific idea to use the um, Congress's oversight powers to conduct open debates on the issues and model for the nation what ought to be going on in our universities. Look, we need in the country such debates. And if universities won't fulfill their mission, actually do the thing for which we give them all sorts of tax breaks, then let the House of Representatives do it. And let, let us hope that the House of Representatives goes beyond shaming them to providing a model to which they could start living up.
0: He is Peter Berkowitz, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, former director of policy planning at the State Department. You can find his writings at PeterBerkowitz.com. Peter, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it.
13: Thank you.
3: Thank you. And he joined us on our Answer line.
1: This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
8: Insert Democrat Socialist here.
12: Runs the Democratic
3: House law for 30-plus years running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank. Gang, 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 you ought to know by now. You can pay off your house
12: here in Illinois, but you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan to have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if anymore, but when you're moving out. I said, when you're moving out. Top of the morning, Dan and
0: Amy. And we've got some exciting news this morning. We brought you at the outset of the show. Uh Bring to you again, because I don't want people to miss this once in a lifetime opportunity, investment opportunity. Oh, yeah.
3: People, listen up. This is big.
0: Uh, You thought probably you're just a little guy. You'll never have a chance to invest in government housing, in homeless shelters, in tree equity. Well, you'd be wrong, thanks to Mayor Lori Lightfoot.
2: This is Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and I am proud to announce that as a Chicago resident or individual investor, you can now invest directly in our beloved city by purchasing Chicago social bonds. These social bonds will fund a portion of the Chicago Recovery Plan, which is making $1.2 billion in equitable, transformative investment in our city. The Chicago Recovery Plan includes nearly $1 billion in affordable housing projects. $117 million in homelessness and transitional housing support, $110 million in community economic development, $46 million for the largest tree planting initiative in the city's history, and $41 million for full light-duty city vehicle electrification over the next five years. The first series of social bonds to fund the Chicago Recovery Plan will be sold in the week of January 16, 2023, and will fund essential projects such as the construction of more than 2,000 units of affordable housing, the establishment of safe and clean emergency shelter space for people experiencing homelessness, the cleanup and sale of over 5,000 vacant city lots, and the planting next year of 15,000 trees citywide. These bonds are being offered exclusively to the residents of Chicago and individual investors before any banks or large investors. That means Chicagoans and individual investors will have the first pick when purchasing Chicago Social Bonds and investing in the future of our city and your community. To learn more about the STSC and to participate in this historic trend, your broker or visit chicago.gov forward slash bonds.
0: Brokers' uh, lines are lighting up across the city to be sure. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm taking right. all the money I made at FTX. I'm going to shovel it right into this bond uh. program. When people ask me someday, hey, Dan, how'd you make all your money? I'm going to be able to say the city's tree planting program.
3: $46 million for 15K trees. You're hugging a tree. We got a text message that said, if I invest in the city bonds program, what the heck do I get? An empty police car driving around? Oh, no, I want my name on a paddy wagon.
0: For more on this, Ted Dabrowski, president of Wirepoints.org, joins us. Uh, Ted, uh, boy, this is a this is a, a deal you want to get in on the ground floor of, right?
11: Well, you guys, you guys are slow. I've already purchased my bond. So <laughs> Have you?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: yeah. Yeah. So you know,
11: I, I think this is a perfect example of kind of like you know the, the sign of the you know, beginning of the end of Chicago in, in, in the current makeup. It's uh, this is a great example of you know it, it's absurd it's almost like an onion piece, right? You, you don't really know if it's true or not. And you know, here you've got a junk rated city, massive crime, got all these m- huge problems, and it's going to borrow its way to what the, what she's calling the Chicago recovery plan. So it's really, you know, her equity, her equity program run amok. Uh, you know, the second part of it is, you know, I'm, I'm surprised It's it's like a massive campaign thing for her, right? She's being able to use city resources, look at herself promoting it. You know, you can be part of this. It's a perfect time to do this in, in, in her campaign. And, uh, you know, you can, you know, like you said, you can fix housing problems. You can fix uh, the root causes of crime, violence prevention and all that. You can electrify the city's uh, light duty fleet. So, but, but you know, it's, what's amazing behind this thing, uh, Dan and Amy, is how this bond is structured. And, and there's little talk about that. And we talked about this a couple of years ago, where to make these bonds sell and to get them safe, uh, they're selling in, in, implicit in this, as collateral is the is the city's future sales tax revenues. They collateralized away the future of Chicago into this bond so that people will buy it, and uh, that's the real story behind everything. But it's a very complex issue, uh, but it's something that should never be done.
0: Well, also, your uh, colleague Mark Lennon over at Wirepoints explained this, and he's uh, a long time been a lawyer in this space, um, so he knows what he's talking about. The um, The entity, the specific entity that's issuing the bonds, the Sales Tax Securitization Corporation, it had to be separate and distinct from the city so that it was essentially insulated from bankruptcy to guarantee return on uh, those who would purchase these bonds, um, which also speaks to the financial state of the city. In addition to the politics of it, rather than increase taxes to fund this Chicago recovery program, we'll get people... Uh, who are you know woke dopes to buy these bonds?
11: Yeah, and, and you know Mark Mark hit on this really hard early on. It's like, he, and I love his term. You know, Chicago's selling body parts to, yeah. to to raise money, and and that you know you're selling your future tax revenues. You're having to create something called a, you know bankruptcy remote, so that so that the bankers will lend to it. Otherwise, otherwise it's a it's a real mess for Chicago to raise money, given it's a junk rated junk rated city.
0: Uh, it's uh, it's great stuff, and it's um, it's almost as exciting as the uh, snowplow naming contest. I don't know which will get more participation. Um, I want to get to something else, too, that uh, you wrote about over at WirePoints. This is an interesting case. This um, case that is now uh, being leveled up by the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court's going to hear a case about uh, property taxation that becomes a government-taking and uh, the uh, example that was highlighted in the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune, 93-year-old woman in uh, Minnesota lost her home to the government because she was delinquent in paying $2,300 in property taxes. The government took her home and then sold it for 40000 and pocketed the difference. Um, and uh, we're going to get... Something I, we're going to get some adjudication that had, may have particular relevance to uh, property tax weary Chicagoans, Chicago landers, if you will. Which is uh, when does property taxation become so usurious that it's a government taking?
11: Well, yeah. Well, there's there's two aspects to it. Is you know when can they just take your property, sell it, and keep the difference? Uh, and that's that's the big case that the Supreme Court Supreme Court's going to hear. And I think you know, kudos to Mark for staying on top of Mark Lemon. Um, you know, he follows what the Supreme Court's doing. And, and uh, this is a big Illinois problem we we'll, what we'll talk about right now. But it was Minnesota that brought it brought it uh, to light. And, you know, what's fascinating about this is that, yeah, Minnesota is a troublemaker. But when the Pacific Legal um, Foundation did a, a deep dive into this problem where where the government's taking property for, for people who haven't paid their, te- you know, sometimes very small amounts in property taxes and the government's just taking the property or selling the property to others who who, who take the entire property. Illinois is the biggest
5: culprit of this. Oh yeah, by far.
0: The, these 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 tax sales of property. I mean, they're they're guys that make uh, a very handsome Money. living pouring uh, through the the listing of tax sales.
11: Yeah, and I'm a little bummed that we didn't hop on this earlier. Cause, you know, I've seen this thing. You know, you you see Cook County announce all these properties they want to sell, and uh, you know the, you know it's all weird stuff. But I uh, you know, really laid it out well in this in this. Uh, in this uh, piece that the Minnesota wrote on. And then of course that Marx really highlighted is that, you know, they're able, they're able to take over your property uh, or, or sell it, you know, you sell your tax, sell, sell your tax to somebody else. Somebody else pays it down. Then over a couple of years, if, if um, the person who didn't originally pay the property taxes doesn't pay them, then uh, the person who bought the, the lien gets to take over the property and you know, kick the person out and take over the property. And it's, you know, we had, uh, what, 4,700 cases of that. Uh, and and the amount lost by people in equity in their homes is four hundred million dollars.
3: And they can it, never uh, get the equity back, That's what you're saying?
11: No, You, you,
0: you know, they are, the are the home. The home's exceptions. taken, yeah. There
11: are some exceptions and all that, but you know, but you know who's losing their homes too, right?
0: The seniors, you not know, the people in,
11: uh, in Wilmette and Winnetka. It's it's uh, you know lower income people, and you can see that in a map that the Pacific Legal Foundation puts. It's uh, you know East St. Louis and you know South Cook. It's a uh, it's a fascinating thing that they get away with here. Oh, yeah. When you well, look at yeah. when you
0: look at when you look at the listing of uh, properties that are delinquent in their property taxes, I mean, the, the south suburbs dominates in Cook County and, and then and some of the south and west side neighborhoods, too. So, right. The great uh, vanguard of uh, lower to middle income mm-hmm. minority families in Cook County, all these Democrat socialists and yet who's losing their houses because of usurious property taxes
11: yeah so you know so, so that's that part which the supreme court will hear what they're not going to hear and what they don't you know talk about is, is the other kind of takings uh that in theory should be protected and that's the outright property tax rates that we see in a yeah, lot of right. places in illinois right. Uh, right. especially in south Cook, where the rates are seven percent eight percent twelve percent and uh it's crazy and uh, you know i remember jeannie and I just went down to harvey to to kind of raise that issue because nobody else would raise it down there and uh it's fascinating when you see you know, what houses sell for because it's such a mess that nobody wants to buy there anymore.
0: Yeah, well, we I remember we, we've we done many, uh, as you know, property tax analyses uh, uh, at the newspapers I'm a part of that's, you know, fake news except uh, the Chicago Press Corps is the real fake news that doesn't cover any of this and certainly not with the level of detail and the data is the data. It's indisputable. The uh, community in Cook County that has the highest property tax rate as a percentage of home value is? Where? Ford heights one of the poorest community the poorest community in cook county and one of the poorest communities in the country 99.9 percent black tell me again about how you're the great protector of the the downtrodden the low-income families and so on and so forth yeah it's I mean, such, you know, such it's, a scam
11: it's, yeah they're the great destroyers i mean you know, all those policies destroy all those towns you know of course you know the, the industry left and then uh you know they never did anything to, to fix things But you know and it's not i've always said it's not just the property tax amount it's how they destroyed home values because yeah. uh, you know when i was down there with Jeannie at the time the homes in in harvey were selling in the neighbors where we were standing in were selling for five thousand dollars seven thousand yeah. dollars twelve thousand i thought it was a used car sales lot uh prices no these were homes uh and it, it just shows you the destruction and then the taxes never go down and so that's how you end up with this really high taxes really low home value, absurd. Um, you know, percentage so, of your home that you're paying taxes.
3: Do you remember if the house was selling for 5000 how much the property taxes were? Because it wasn't reflective oh, yeah. well, of the sale price.
11: No, right. It, it, this is what happened. They'd it, be crazy, and that's why people would walk away. I, you know, I, I wrote the story about the guy I met in Harvey in, in Subway. He was a young young black guy, really nice guy. And we chatted, and, and I said, you know, what do you do here? And he said, well, I'm just staying in my parents' home. They moved, they went up and moved to Mississippi, and I'm I'm still in it. And he said, well, they're trying to sell the home for 50000 And I said, well, wow, that's really low. And he goes, no, that's not. He said, I don't think they're going to get 5000 for it. And that's why I wrote the piece, because I couldn't believe that. You know, I didn't know that homes could sell for $5,000. Well, the, right? the, homes, are, the, like homes, oh,
0: the homes are effectively worth zero. And it's not just there. It's in middle uh, income that used to be affluent communities, too, like Flossmore. Because if you have a $150,000 house and a $15,000 tax bill, which is yeah. um, which is yeah. uh, which is a real example? Then your home is essentially worth nothing because who's going to buy a home at that valuation to pay that uh, property tax bill on the analyzed basis? What you're going to pay for your home five times over? Are you nuts?
11: That's right. Yeah, in ten years you buy a house twice, right? So that's that's why the home values collapse because there's no way somebody could actually buy that house at the price you want and pay the tax bill. So boom, they lower the the uh, home values and you you you're, you're stuck. You're
3: screwed. And that is theft. Um, I want to ask you quickly, Governor Pritzker, He's a, speaking right now at the World Economic Forum to promote Illinois' accomplishments on the world stage. Um, what did he accomplish? Oh well, come on, you
11: know he. he uh, this, is a, this is the perfect pitch that he does. He's paid down the bills. He got credit up uh, credit rating upgrades. Quote balance the budget, but um, you should add at the very end of that is. Thank you for the nearly $200 billion in, in federal bailout money that allowed me to do that. But he won't say that part. But that's that's the reality. That's what he'll pitch. You know, he's made the – he's he's done all the green energy stuff. He's got a lot of stuff to pitch, uh, that, uh, you know, his, his
3: progressive bona fides. And he's me running a, for president.
0: Help me understand what's happening in Wisconsin because I don't understand this. Um, the Republican Party controls the legislature in Wisconsin, but they don't have the governorship, so – um, they can't really pass anything substantial, and yet uh, Wisconsin Republicans have proposed to uh, lower the state's income tax from seven point six five percent to three point two five percent. yeah. What was so? I, I from from Illinois Republicans, I understand that if you don't have control of anything, then you're not supposed to propose anything. You just sit there and take whatever the Democrats give you. So what what are Wisconsin Republicans doing?
11: Yeah. Or, or join in on what the, the Democrats or are join to, uh,
0: in. Exactly. Uh, um. Yeah.
11: Yeah. I know. You know, here's, here they're, they're showing leadership. Uh, you know, they may not, they may not get what they want because, uh, you know, Evers is still there. Uh, but they're making a huge play and saying that they want to move, you know, this, you know, this is a fascinating thing, you know, go back two years when, when Pritzker was trying to get his progressive tax done in Illinois. You're seeing states across the country move towards flat tax rates and that's what Wisconsin's trying to do. Uh, you know, they want to have a, a 3.5 uh, rate at the top and, uh, you know, they're showing some leadership and saying, here's the direction we need to be in. And why? Because they're competing with other states for investment and for people. And uh, we're not thinking that way. Our, you know, the Republicans here in Illinois aren't thinking that way. They're, they don't know yet how to lead. Let's see if, if the, new class, the, the new group can, can lead. But uh, this is the leadership that uh, these guys are showing in, in Wisconsin.
0: Kudos to them. Yeah, absolutely. Ted Dabrowski, president of Wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Thanks, as always, Ted.
3: Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 The Answer. Top
0: of the morning, Dan and Amy. We talked about this uh, op-ed from Bernie Marcus, the co-founder of Home Depot, last week. Just excellent. Telling uh, his story of being uh, fired from his gig at the age of 49. And that's when uh, he had this idea to open a hardware store, a lumber yard, and a garden store all in one. What you now know today as Home Depot, because he grew one store in Georgia to 2,000 locations across the country. He uh, wrote that um, the Home Depot almost went bankrupt several times in its first decade. And today's policy environment would have tipped us into insolvency as it does countless entrepreneurs each year. Not only would he have not been able to grow Home Depot into 2,000 locations, Home Depot arguably wouldn't have even made it, according to him. He writes, the biggest victim of bad government policy, biggest victims, aren't the elite. They'll always be able to get into good schools and get their foot in the door of corporate America. The people hurt most by big government are those who lack advantages in becoming economically independent, and that's disproportionately minorities, Mm -hmm. which is part of the reason he founded the Job Creators Network. Our next guest is the president and CEO of said Job Creators Network. Also, uh, our friend Gary Rabine, Rabine Paving and other businesses here in Illinois, part of this Job Creators Network group. President and CEO, he is Alfredo Ortiz. He's got a new book, The Real Race Revolutionaries, How Minority Entrepreneurship Can Overcome America's Racial and Economic Divides. Alfredo Ortiz, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So um the uh, the Bernie Marcus story is a powerful one and uh, it, b- before he uh, that op-ed was published he, he also expressed as much as he provided the the example he also expressed some real frustration beyond just the politicians uh, sort of the, poli- the the culture in part aided and abetted by the politicians where people don't want to work and um he's uh more than a little bit uh, exercised about that um, the uh, the perspective of Job Creators Network and and uh, what you all are trying to accomplish.
10: Yeah, Absolutely, I mean, it's an incredible story of you know that that, that Bernie shares, um, and uh, you know I couldn't be more fortunate, and honored to work for such an amazing entrepreneur and philanthropist, um, you know like Bernie. And uh but but his story's amazing, right? Because he he grew up in the tenements of New Jersey and uh grew up poor and as like you said, he you know, he went along the way to the corporate world and got fired at forty nine, but yet he had a vision, he had a dream, he had a belief in himself. Um and he took the chance. He took the gamble and in fifty two he started Home Depot with one store in Atlanta and today four hundred and fifty thousand people uh roughly are employed by the Home Depot and it it, it really is an inspiring amazing story and i would say that really only this country can that happen but you know he also says that uh starting actually under barack obama if he had to you know roll out home depot in that environment of high taxes and high regulation he would have never been able to do it and uh you know uh, unfortunately the democrats like doing some of these policies Uh, and not thinking about the unintended consequences. I mean, if you think of Dodd-Frank, for example, uh, you had about 1,800 community banks that went out of business because they just couldn't deal with the high regulations that most large banks had no problem dealing with because they had the wherewithal to do that. And guess where most of those community banks went out of business? They were in communities of uh, high uh, minority representation.
0: And guess and, and so, guess where and guess where uh, the 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 plumber who wants to start a plumbing business gets his financing? It, a community bank, it, it,
10: exactly the community bank. And uh, forget about the, you know the small business, uh, uh, y- you know the small business group of the U.S. basis. I mean that's just impossible there to get a loan. So the community banks really so important. So we're pushing, for example, really fintech uh, now to uh, you know try to uh, make, uh, you know, fill the gap with those community banks that just are non-existent. And so, you know, the, the, we believe that this idea that the Democrats love pushing, which, you know, my, my, my test, but this entire book actually, uh, really started, uh, as, uh, you know, kind of an outgrowth of, uh, testimony that I offered before the full house ways and means committee, uh, last spring, um, in a hearing on minority entrepreneurship. And it was pretty funny. Because the Democrat members of witnesses argued for more big government policies to overcome supposed structural uh, uh, structural racism holding minorities back, you know. So, surprise, surprise, right? Everything's about racism. Everything goes back to that. And you know what? That old saying, right? When the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? I mean, uh, you know, that was definitely in, in display there. And of course, I countered that reducing the hurdles to entrepreneurship by having the government do less not more is actually the best way to empower minorities to actually improve their economic outcomes
0: it's just difficult you know i mean um, you know guys like uh, the ceo of uh, goya foods uh uh, Rob uh, Robert uh, Unanue says the same things, and then he gets pilloried. I mean, it's, it's, it's this is like it, they're focused on minority entrepreneurship. They're focused on extending opportunities to people that don't have them, and yet then the, then the government class comes in and says, you know, that's just a pipe dream. You can't do this, even though it's been done clearly. And it's just it's just a challenge to get over that hurdle. It seems where uh, the politician is here with a check today. And the entrepreneur is here with an opportunity to build something for tomorrow it's uh, it's a tough sell for a lot of people
10: yeah, it really is and actually I know Bob on un- way un- 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 well uh, because I was actually a commissioner uh, alongside with him at the White House uh, initiative uh, uh, for for excellence in education for Hispanics so we actually work together on that and you know it's it's basically trying to make sure that we have an environment that produces you know, positive outcomes for entrepreneur, entrepreneurs across this country as much as possible, and so um, you know, it's just it's just a shame because you know, whenever you have this kind of narrative coming from folks like myself, it always tries to get squashed. I mean, in fact, that that that, that testimony was actually pretty uh, pretty funny to watch because they said that they were troubled by the rhetoric and claimed that I was inappropriate and ignorant to argue that minorities can overcome their circumstances through entrepreneurship. Let me tell you, I That's, grew up poor. Yeah. My mom was a housekeeper. My dad was a tailor, right? We went through trash cans, right? Going through aluminum cans and newspapers, finding those, going over to the YMC, catching those in. And that was our grocery for the week. Yet I was ignorant and inappropriate.
0: Well, see, it seems to me like this is an example, seems to me, where uh, maybe some of these uh, button down business guys need to get a little bit more ornery and say, you know, how dare you patronize me? Who the frack are you to tell me or anybody else what we can or can't do? You know, I, right. I, just, I, I think there needs to be, you know, maybe I'm I err too much on the side of hostility, but I just think there needs to be more hostility uh, that is directed at people who are so uh, patronizing, who who have this false notion of white man's burden or politicians burden with respect to uh, with respect to everybody, but particularly minorities.
10: Well, and, and and that is actually one of the reasons why I wrote this book because I was actually pretty bothered walking out of that you know four-hour testimony, uh, you know I was the sole uh, you know Republican witness, um, and so you know when when I you know was thinking about these words, I mean it just really really bothered me because first of all I am an actual living example of where it did help. I had a, two small businesses actually that I started in Atlanta. Uh, a consulting company and a construction company. And I have to tell you, that really was able to launch my success. And I was, you know, standing next to the President of the United States as a commissioner, like I just said, with along with Boguanan were there and, and others. I mean, where else but in this country can you go from picking trash as a kid with your mom to standing next to the President of the United States? I mean, so it's unbelievable. In, in the book, uh, we lay out uh, some great data points, uh, but I just want to highlight one, if I may. A Congressional Black Caucus Foundation study found that the median net worth for black business owners is 12 times higher than for black non-business owners. In other words, black entrepreneurs more than eliminate that racial income and wealth gaps, earning and saving far more than median white households. I mean, that's just one little fact that's in there that really pushes back on this narrative from the left that everything is about government handouts and reparations.
3: And recently you wrote, you know, beside your book, you wrote an article in the Washington Times where you talked about an encounter you had with a book at a an Atlanta bookstore. Can you tell us about
2: that?
10: Yeah, it was interesting, right? So, so you know, they were really talking about, uh, you know, two women and how the the real revolutionaries were, you know, talking about uh, LGBTQ and really pushing for that and, 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 and that being kind of the answer. And, you know, it, I, I started thinking to myself, I'm like, Gosh, the answer really is about small businesses I mean, having having spent 10 years running running this organization uh, you know uh, I've seen that I've seen that firsthand I mean the majority of people that I've talked to on the road and at this point thousands of thousands of small business owners uh, that run to, into across the country um, th- th- this is what this is why they come here I mean you think about it they, they they flee their socialist countries I mean, uh, you know, t- two good friends of mine and also, you know, great entrepreneurs themselves, one from Nicaragua, uh, you know, one from Venezuela. They came here with nothing. Right. And they started businesses and they had that opportunity. And that's the one thing that, you know, we also talked about it. It's about equal opportunity. Right. That's what I think we, we, we as a country promise. We've never promised equal uh, outcomes. So this whole idea that the left has the quality of the outcomes. I don't even know where that
0: comes from. So so from your perspective, what are the couple of things that really break through? What you know, maybe there's examples from from the work that you want to do on a daily basis that really pierce uh, through and get people interested in being entrepreneurships or get them on the path to being successful entrepreneurs. You know, what does it take that's replicable?
10: Well, I mean, uh, the one thing I think that all entrepreneurs and myself included, there, like I said,
0: I own my you know two small
10: businesses myself. It's hard work, right? Grit, um, you know, belief in yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, these are these are the characteristics that are inherent in every entrepreneur. But how, have how, an you, idea.
0: how Yeah, sorry to interrupt. But, but how do you transmit yeah. them where the the concept hasn't even been introduced to? Uh, some of these uh, uh, neighborhoods, uh, you know, it doesn't. It's it's not part of the K through twelve uh, uh, curriculum or conversation. It's not happening in some of these communities that are struggling with uh, uh, violence and poor schools yeah. and so forth. How, 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 you know, how do you get to the the fut- You know, these next generations that are coming up and and you know, open their eyes to these opportunities you're describing.
10: Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great point. I mean, I think if we look in all of our communities, the, the, the heartbeat of our communities are the small business owners. So I think uh, what I would do is I would encourage the small business owners themselves to become a more vocal force.
5: Mm-hmm.
10: Um, unfortunately, in this whole cancel culture, a lot of times they're just now afraid to speak up. Um, but but we really have to depend on uh, on our small businesses to speak out. I mean, in Chicago, for example, look how many small businesses are hurt by the crime that happens in Chicago. Um, I mean, it is unbelievable. I mean, a lot of these businesses are closing up shop because they, they they can't keep up with the crime, and it's keeping their customers away. They're losing money. They're losing inventory, right? And so they really do need to speak out because it's the the, the government kind of uh, uh, you know either. Too much government right or they 're not doing enough to protect their small businesses right and to have safe communities um, I mean, I always say when it 's easier to get fentanyl on our streets than it is to get baby formula on the on the shelves of our grocery stores, we have a real problem in this country
0: I, I wonder if um this model has any application i I always think of uh, in this topic, I think of the uh, Julius Rosenwald the Rosenwald schools, where Julius Rosenwald, who is the CEO of Sears Roebuck partnered with Booker T. Washington to build schools throughout the South a uh, hundred years ago to educate minority children um, in an era of uh, government sponsored segregation and uh, the success that uh, those kids had by uh, getting access to those schools and getting a real education that prepared them to be you know independent uh, uh, ind- independent Americans. Maybe, you know, I know they're, they're business incubators. We have one uh, in, on the west side of the city that's uh, shown some promise. Is, is there more of that infrastructure that needs to be built, more of the partnership with the, the successful folks building incubators where, uh, where, where the aspiring entrepreneurs can have access to the things they need to get a business off the ground? Is that something that makes sense, a model?
10: It, it really does. And it's interesting. You know, we talk about a little bit that the, the whole debate uh, that happened between Du Bois and uh, Washington here, Du Bois really becoming a, a major uh, part of the socialist movement in the country. And of course, Washington talking about uh, entrepreneurialism and capitalism, really, and education being the real way of, of curing that racial divide. And so, but I actually think that is a great model we're talking about. And Gary Rabine, you mentioned him at the beginning of the show. He's actually a board member of ours and a good friend of mine. Uh, you know, this is something that we need to do. And I know that in in, in his model, that's is something that he encourages. He looks for high school students, calls students, right? Really encouraging them to, you know, t- you know to, to to be part and mentor them, uh, you know, t- to succeed. I mean, I think we really need to have more of that in our high schools. Um, unfortunately, uh, that, that keeps getting stripped out. And so... Again, I keep urging these small business owners on a local basis and community basis. It's wonderful that they help fund, uh, you know, uh, soccer teams and little leagues and stuff like that. But having these entrepreneurship centers, work centers, uh, where they can learn what it is to be an entrepreneur, right, where they, where they can even maybe help get funding for an idea. I mean, sometimes these ideas don't take a lot of money. They just need some mentorship, someone who's already been there, done that. I mean – uh, you know, if we can actually think of Shark Tank, I think everybody uh, yeah right. probably seen Shark Tank at some point. Uh, if we can make that model, but make it more of an educational model on a community basis, I think we could really be onto something.
0: He is Alfredo Ortiz. He's the president and CEO of the Job Creators Network. His new book, The Real Race Revolutionaries, How Minority Entrepreneurship Can Overcome America's Racial and and, and Economic Divides. Alfredo Ortiz, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the book.
10: Great. Thank you so much. Have a
1: great
3: day. Thanks. You too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro Answer line.
1: It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning,
0: Dan and Amy. So have reports of the Chinese communist imminent global takeover been greatly exaggerated? In 2022, China lost population for the first time in 60 years. It's
3: well, a big deal.
0: Its GDP growth in the fourth quarter was revised down. Its population is aging. That has been happening for some time since they pursued the ghastly one child policy for uh, some three decades, and then moved up, up to the two-child policy. Not working. If that's all true, should we care? Still has 1.4 billion people, major uh, trading partner, if you will, of the United States. I mean, other than at, at a you know human level, persecution of Uyghur Muslims and Chinese residents, generally speaking, Chinese citizens, generally speaking, at the hands of the communists. Obviously, we care about that. But should we care about China's relative standing in the world, its economic importance, if that diminishes? To help us answer that question, we're pleased to be joined by Simone Gao, journalist and host of Zooming In with Simone Gao, a current affairs program on YouTube. Simone, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
14: Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me
0: so what does uh what do these um uh indicators of well decline if you will what do they tell us about where President Xi and the Chinese Communists currently find themselves
14: Yes, China's economy is in big trouble uh, just like what you said you know the overall uh GDP last year twenty twenty two was just at 3.2%, well below the projected 5.5%. And most people think this is caused by the pandemic and China's zero COVID policy. So after China terminates zero COVID, the economy should recover quickly. Uh, this is true to some degree, but zero COVID travel—I mean, but you know, after zero COVID, um, you know, travel, entertainment, and catering will pick up to a certain degree but it won't lift a $18 trillion economy. Um, I would even argue that the termination of zero COVID can only make people understand the truth of China's economy, because now you don't have an excuse to say our economy is bad. Um, I think the real reason behind China's growth stagnation are these. First, the long-term structural problems of China's economy, namely, low consumption, over-reliance on government investment, real estate, and export. And second, um, you know, China's growth dividend is disappearing, just like uh, other emerging uh, emerging economies, uh, namely the population and urbanization dividend. And third, Xi Jinping's policies have wrecked several industries, including uh, the real estate industries. Um, And fourth, the overall geopolitical environment um, is becoming increasingly hostile to the communist China. All of these things, except for Xi Jinping's own policies, are extremely hard to fix, uh, or it cannot be fixed at all. So, for example, China has low consumption. The fundamental reason behind that is because the wealth structure of the Chinese population. You know, in China, the top 10% of the Chinese population's net worth accounts for 68% of the total wealth, while the bottom 50% accounts for just 6.3% 6. 6, 6. of total wealth. As Premier Li Keqiang said um, last year, China has 600 million people whose average monthly income is about 1,000 yuan. How much is that? That's roughly 100. 45 dollars per month. And that's you you can't even pay. You can't even afford a decent rent in in the medium sized city in China with that income.
0: Well, this has always been this has always been the fundamental contradiction, as was it was as was it as it was with the Soviet Union, which is I mean, so we have a bigger economy than China and one fifth the population. Why? Because the government controls the means of production. People don't appreciate that China is largely an agrarian economy. And you speaks to that with the uh, number of people that, uh, as you say, are living on $145 in, in uh, uh, monthly income. And uh, and so those internal contradictions, ultimately they, it spelled the end of the Soviet Union. And at the end, the death throes, it was Gorbachev pursuing the glasnost and perestroika policies in an attempt to save russia even uh, soviet union even though it sort of hastened its demise do we have the same thing in early stages in china because i i note that there were some senior chinese communist officials that were talking about china being a more open society we're going to move in that direction they their china is a force for peace in the world it sounded uh, somewhat similar to what you heard from the soviets uh, you know about a decade before the wall came down
14: that's a very, that's an extremely important question. I think uh, there's a very important understanding we need to have. And that is, um, um, you know, whenever China, China, the fundamental motivation and goal of the Chinese Communist Party's uh, reform and opening up is not for the benefit of the Chinese people. I mean, it it, it benefits the Chinese people uh, in, I mean, in certain period, but the fundamental goal of that reform and opening up is to maintain the communist rule. And this is made very clear, not only to the, 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 the Chinese leadership itself, but also to the Chinese people. So, for example, Deng Xiaoping, uh, you know, the previous uh, paramount Chinese leader, uh, had um, two reforms during the past 40 years in, in China. And uh each uh, before each one of them, uh Deng Xiaoping said, you know, if we don't do reform, uh the party's rule is going to be jeopardized. We we can't not rule anymore. And so uh that's the fundamental reason for them to, to open up and each time uh the West, especially America, heated their request uh, i mean the chinese communist party would say we 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 will reform we need your help uh we were to, uh, we're too backward uh, we want to we want to be a democratic or we want to be a more open society and each time uh the west and Amer- america came to help china and this is why the engagement policy came about after i mean until 1989 the the American uh, elite—I um, mean, even after the 1989 Tiananmen massacre—the uh, American elite still thinks, "Oh, China is going to change because Deng Xiaoping said so." After 1989, Deng Xiaoping said, "Without further reform and opening up, our 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 party cannot rule anymore." And uh, President George H. W. Bush and uh, Clinton uh, both believed him or, you know, pretend to believe him. So they lifted uh, sanctions and uh, uh, launched this engagement policy. And China get tremendous help from America. Uh, Clinton helped China to enter WTO and yeah, the rest. Is, MNF is status.
0: Right. And so so I mean, what should what in your view, then what should America be doing at this point? Should we be talking about uh, pushing for a uh most favored nation status to be rescinded for China what 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 should we what should we, do, we be doing without uh, cutting off our nose to spite our face
14: I think a order to decouple is needed because if you think about China is unchangeable political politically under the communist rule so I I mean I'm, I'm not I think some people are talking about um get china's uh, wto status revoked uh i i don't know about that but for america to orderly decouple with the chinese economy that's very important you know just uh, let them use their own resources and their ro- own money to re- to restructure their economy and let that uh, uh, the quality and strength our respective institutions uh, decide our positions in the world um, in the in the in the future, not like uh, Chinese Ambassador Qing Gong said. He said, you know, if we view the world as a, a shared com- community, uh, then we have a shared future. This is sound very correct. However, China has been using this excuse to take advantage of China, of uh, the West and it's America. It's just
0: propaganda. Yeah, it's just propaganda. Yeah. I mean, the only b- person who believes that is John Kerry um the uh so so with respect to with respect to where this goes is this happening organically what what's your sense of what's actually happening there with for example big american companies moving uh their supply chains out of china they may stay in that southeast asia but they're they're moving to vietnam or or, or other places is that having a material impact on the chinese economy on the regime
14: oh yeah tremendously Uh, If you think about China's economy, China relies on three things to drive its economy. Um, Internal consumption, so just let's let's call it consumption, export, and uh, investment. So if you think about consumption, like what I said, the wealth structure of the Chinese population uh, means that China cannot have a real strong consumption because most people are too poor. And uh, if you think about investment, investment means government investment in infrastructure, and also you know real estate investment in building more and more houses. And those two are, I mean, China has too many houses, houses to 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 for the people to live in. And China has so many infrastructure that many of them, uh, a lot of them, are in uh, waste. They're lying in ghost towns. So you cannot build anymore. You cannot invest anymore. The real lifeblood is manufacturing export, and that's why you know uh, house I mean, factories, uh, uh, Apple factories in China, uh, Tesla are so so important for China. Now they're exiting China. I think that's a huge blow to Chinese economy.
3: I want to go back to something that you said earlier. I mean, the reason why they lifted their zero COVID policy wasn't it because they. The Chinese government was just simply running out of money to enforce it.
14: Yeah, that's a very very important reason. So, if you think about how much uh, the zero COVID cost, China, you know, the the landmark uh, the landmark uh, thing for zero COVID is uh, the nuclear asset testing. So, if you China before the zero COVID, they do like a forty eight hour Um, 48-hour nuclear acid testing for all their populations. How much does that cost? That costs $243 billion a year. And that's 8% of their entire central fiscal revenue. (laughs) So they could not sustain it. And that's not even the biggest portion of the cost. And the lockdown, partial lockdowns of cities cost even more. So they yeah. can't
0: sustain that. I tell you, they shouldn't have spent all that money on Hunter Biden. Uh, it was a yeah. big mistake. Uh, Simone Gao, <laughs> journalist and host of Zooming In with Simone Gao, current affairs program on YouTube. Simone, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it.
14: Thank you.
3: Thank you. And she joined us on our Turnkey Answer line.
1: The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.